folks are looking at the analytics. Where are people viewing? How are they consuming? How are they interacting? And, and how do I engage? And also, not just when my games are on. What about during the off hours, during the quote unquote off season? Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined today by my longtime co-host, Joe Favrito. Joe, good to be back for another pod. It's been weeks. You've been a very busy man. What's up? End of July, believe it or not, Tom. Don't even remind me. Yeah, the next time we record one is going to be August, which, of course, makes you start thinking about going back to school and going back to more serious schedules. And, yeah, it's kind of that time in the summer where you're realizing, hmm, you can hear the cicadas. Got a little crickets mm. at night, but yeah, let's put that's let's hold off on that because I still want to enjoy yep. the summer we have right now, even though it's sure. kind of hot around here. But you've been traveling more than mm-hmm. kind of anybody I know in the business over the last couple of weeks. So talk about some of the highlights before we introduce our guests. We've got a we're, we're really lucky to have one of the great industry veterans of of our world uh, joining us today. But we'll save that intro for a few minutes. But what what's been going on? Yeah, 11 days, um, five cities, uh, hashtag sports, NBA, Summer League, One's Basketball League, um, uh, thought, SBJ Thought Leaders, and then here we are the last Friday in August, uh, last Friday in July, and I spent this morning at the National Sports Collectible Show in Atlantic City, really kind of picking up and just looking and learning from the collectible business, which was really interesting. One of the the more unique things was as everyone's kind of, you know, milling about trying to pick up their baseball cards and their other miscellaneous memorabilia, who's the guy wandering around the floor without a badge on observing everything was Michael Rubin. I was the only person who noticed Michael Rubin walking around. Um, um, And it was really interesting, you know, with Gary V being there and Darren Rovell, but with their own kind of entourages, Michael Rubin was just wandering around not too far from the Fanatics tops booths, you know, and it would have been interesting to kind of follow along, kind of like in the movie Big, where Robert Loggia character kind of wanders around the, the um, um, you know, the toy store. Um, probably pretty similar to that, except I think, that, you know, Michael, it's a big opportunity. And, and I think that I don't know how, how nobody has grasped it. There were over, I think there were over 150 former athletes signing and not one woman. And I wow. just think that it's crazy that they yeah. missed that. Especially anyway, at this point where there's so much oh. momentum. And, and, and maybe it's a little bit early. Ones. Maybe next year is the yeah, year. Maybe, yeah. Well, actually, actually probably next year would be the would be um, the yeah, Women's test. World Cup next year. So so we'll see. But I, I thought I saw that as a huge, huge opportunity that people are missing. Anyway. So so one more so one more thing about your what you mentioned with your travels. Um, what's your, what's your take on these companies doing conferences? In, in the dog days of summer, like the middle, like in well, July. I, um, I, I have mixed feelings about that. I, I personally really had no interest in any of these things because I feel like everybody deserves to kind of chill out a little bit for a couple months. You can still do your business, but I don't know. There never used to be conferences in months like July and August, uh, as I well, recall. SVJ's had thought leaders, which is not really a conference. It's quote an invite. It's not really an invite. If you pay for it, you get invited. But um, <laughs> right. Um, I thought that was good, you know, good to meet a lot of people in a much more casual atmosphere for a day and a half. Um, you know, hashtag sports, Anthony Caponini, you know, we're both big fans of Anthony. And, um, you know, they did it during NBA Summer League. When I landed in Las Vegas, it was 117 degrees. Um, I think a combination of 
pandemic resurgence and just Vegas being Vegas with so many things going on probably made it a little bit tough. The one thing I will give them total credit for is I would say 95% of the people there, Tom, I didn't even know who they were. I mean, never met them before. Yeah. You know, some people we had actually, we had probably three or four alums, including Jasmine. I saw Jasmine there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say two or three students who were working for hashtag over the summer. Uh, and then the rest of it was really, I mean, they had some interesting discussions. I just, I don't think Las Vegas in August or Las Vegas in July was really the best place to do it. But, right. you know, he, Anthony's a disruptor and he'll try and figure out ways to kind of get stuff done. And NBA Summer League, I just, it just blows my mind that, you know, it used to be this sleepy backwater thing that people refused to go to. And now it's thousands of people. I visited the new Blue Water, um, Blue Wire studio in the wind, which is an entire podcast studio on a floor in the wind. Um, you know, it was really, you know, pretty impressive, um, everything that went on. And then, you know, it's been a pretty busy month, you know, the basketball tournament, uh, being at Rucker League, Rucker Park, which I thought was great. Um, you know, so it's, it's, and then, you know, we didn't even talk about MLB all-star game. Well, it's because not a lot of people talked about MLB all-star game. Right. But, yeah. Not much um, fun on that one. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was been a busy two and a half weeks, so it's been good. And now August, you know, see where it goes from here. Well, it could have been worse. They could have had that, that, those events in Vegas this week where look where, you know, the strip looked like the Mississippi river. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. But so. the guy with the rain, I thought Joe today, you'd have your last, uh, your, your last activity of the week by being in Bedminster, New Jersey for the live golf tournament, which is about to oh, start. I was, well, literally so as we speak here. Story. <laughs> so I talked to our friend Corey left this morning as I was driving back from Atlantic city and he's going to live golf on Sunday in Bedminster. But do you know when he's going? No. At seven o'clock Sunday night to see the chain smokers. Yeah. I saw that. I was just looking at their site because so, you know, the only way you can watch us right now is on livegolf.com or yeah. their YouTube channel. So I was actually seeing how they teed it up. They really need some help with their digital publishing. Yeah, so that's a, a good segue to introduce yeah. our guest. Yes, yeah, so let's. Um, and by the Seriously, way, it's a really bad. Um, I mean, I just, I just got to give one editorial comment. I don't know what they're thinking since they're not on TV. Like this is the way mm-hmm. customers are going to be introduced to this live event. But you would never know it if you looked above the scroll on Live Golf right now that there's a live event. But uh, at least 20 yeah. minutes ago. Um, anyway, anyway, all right. So we are excited about today's convo because we have a legitimate digital media OG joining us and that's not a huge crowd that's probably a few dozen people folks that were in this business in the late 90s when digital was hitting uh with doing doing some really interesting things but um a a really um really wonderful sports business veteran that we've had the privilege of knowing for a long time very successful career that has included among many places this would take a while to resume uh espn ABC, MLB Advanced Media, CBS Digital, uh, in charge of digital at the U.S. Tennis Association. He worked for Endeavor Streaming, uh, initially New Lion, and then it was bought by Endeavor. And the last couple of years, he's been uh, uh, at Brightcove, which most of you know as a SaaS video solutions, video, video streaming solutions company that is quite popular these days because of the rise of streaming. So, some of you may have guessed that we're talking about Phil Green. Welcome, Phil. I don't think anybody guessed, but well, no. there are probably some loyal listeners of a certain age would would have known that resume. Uh, and I'm I'm looking at you, Jeff Volk, in case you happen to listen to us. 
welcome, Phil. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Joe. Uh, great to finally uh, get our schedules aligned for this. Yeah, one uh, more one more here. thing I should have mentioned, Phil, that or to you to Joe. Um, I think Joe knows this already, but Phil's also been a very good friend to the Columbia Sports Management Program. He has visited my class alone numerous times, and I suspect some others, but always a great contributor to the classes when he visits. And I really appreciate that, Phil. And I know uh, uh, you'll be coming back. You're not done yet. You know, we, we have we have hopefully years hey. to go. So, by the way, before, you know, people aren't going to see this, but Phil has a beard. And Tom mentioned Greg Popovich. <laughs> Phil mentioned Santa Claus. And I just realized it's more like kind of Mandy Patinkin in Homeland than anything else. Oh, it's a little Mandy Patinkin. I like that, Joe. That's good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, maybe, uh, Yash, we can, you know, get a shot when, yeah, when Phil's sure. not really looking uh, <laughs> yeah. and post salad. I know usually Joe likes to post after we do the pod. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we, we can take an audience vote, Joe. How's that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Phil. So there's a lot we can talk about, but I want to start with kind of a big picture question about what we're all witnessing right now with this historic move from traditional TV to streaming. You've literally been in this part of the business since it began. You have been in a front row seat over the last seven or eight years with your work in two different technology businesses, uh, Endeavor Streaming slash New Line, and of course, Bright Cove. Talk a little bit about how you saw this evolve and when did we really hit that point where you felt, and, and this I assume informed your career decisions, that this was the proverbial future you want to get deeper into this part of the, the biz? Well, it's a great question. You know, I remember back, you know, if you want to go way back in the early days of like digital, you know, when I was actually, you know, just was still kind of debating the uh, TV side of the ESPN versus moving over to what was then ESPNnet.sportszone.com, right, right. right? And uh, my boss at the time, Eric Schoenfeld, had the uh, cable feed of ESPN just going into his computer monitor. And he looks at me and he says, you see this? This is the future. Live streaming next month. And this was 1995. Wow. Wait, did he use the word streaming? No, he did not. Okay. To be fair. Good point. Okay. But That's this coming to, live to, to our, 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 our site. I don't right. believe he said yeah. streaming. And, yeah. and that was 95. We were not wow. there in a month, obviously, right. Right. you know, as you look back. But that was, that to me was mind blowing, right? Like, wow, we're going to be doing this. That's really cool. I don't think you really started to see, and you know, when when, when I, mean, I was doing even Monday Night Football, we weren't live streaming games for another few years yet. And I think that really, you know, there are one-offs here and there we, when, with some live streaming of the Indy 500. And it was really, the, you know, this sounds crazy, the turn of the century. Like, like when BAM really, and this predates me there, when it really started to take off, right, with the MLB.tv package. Right. And that is when it started to really, I feel, and I'm probably missing and doing some disservice to other, other folks and providers who are out there, but it really then became more of a viable business with subscriptions. And there were so many games that people could subscribe to that whole out-of-market package. And that was revolutionary at the time. And versus now, you know, fast forward and, you know, I don't want to jump decades around, but, you know, where we are today, um, it, it's a whole new world. But it's really, I think, w w that turn of the century with BAM, you just started seeing more than just 
the one-off event with live streaming as everybody was figuring out also then, you know, it wasn't just the technology, but it was the rights. You know, everybody was nervous. People are going to stop watching TV at the time, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to want to watch because they're going to, they're going to stream. And then, you know, you didn't have Wi-Fi or people on their phones. It was just people on their computers and really, you know, just beyond dial-up modem at that point. You know, when we first were doing the video on, you know, at, at ESPN, it was the size of postage stamps, you know, you know, it was 10 seconds long because people were on dial-up modems today using AOL, right? You know, that's and, right. Yeah. When it was called, that, we used to call it broad, remember broadband, AOL for broadband? Yes. And we went out and got all those rights at AOL for the sports group and including, including working with your old company, BAM, to get some of the baseball stuff and then USTA, et cetera. And, and what we realized, this is back in like 2003, four, like, we spent a lot of money to get all that video and no one was watching because it wasn't a habitual thing yet in digital media behavior. It was kind of a, it was kind of a thing for people in the industry. Hey, we can actually stream this, but consumers not really tuned in literally uh, to yeah. it quite yet. Anyway, Phil, I thought you were going to mention Quokka and oh the streaming of, of the Mount Everest <laughs> summit, whatever that was like in you know, 2000, excuse me, 1997. The, wit, the, Whitbird, like the Whitbread round the world race is where. Yeah. And then Sandy Pittman, go. remember Sandy Pittman having the person follower to get the signal to do the streaming. And I mean, the uh, internet connection What a yeah. funny memory. But look, yeah, if you know who Quokka Sports is, you're kind of in this OG group, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. So I see Yash looking, you know, Yash is looking at us. Like, no what idea. the hell are you what, guys talking what about? What is Quokka Sports? Yeah. Um, Joe, did you have a follow-up question? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Phil. I don't remember when you were at New Lion, but ironically, 14 years ago today, we folded up our, our um, MMA venture, the International Fight League. And we were, I think, with New Lion when Chris Wagner had started it. I think we were the, this was 15 years ago, we were the third property being brought onto new line behind like the avp wow. and somebody else and we had no idea what it was but that was 15 years ago to put mma we were the first mma live on us on what, what was going to become a streaming platform but looking back from that to where we are now um where is can you level set for us kind of like where the the streaming industry for sports specifically is today and kind of where where are we going in the next year? You know, with you know the mix of tech companies and and, and other players that are now coming in this. Sure, you know, and yeah, it's obviously everything's completely changed in those 14, 15 years. You know, where we are today is, you know, it, it's still pretty. It's all very fragmented, right? You've got the individual leagues themselves, right? You know, do, doing their own streaming in different ways right whether it's out of market packages you know you saw what the nfl just announced they're going to be doing right taking you know the the 5.99 or 4.99 package that they're going to be offering with nfl plus um is new um but also you know some of the fight leagues like joe that you talked about right there's beyond the big four big five mls and nascar i don't want to you know offend any any of the other big leagues but there's a lot of the kind of mid-tier or up-and-coming sports that are doing their own thing as well, either their own streaming service or on, you know, the ESPNs and Peacocks and, and Paramounts, et cetera. So it's fragmented everywhere, which is really confusing for users, right? And whether that's old folks like us, the OGs, or like my kids who are teenagers, right? Who, you know, and then everyone in between, like Yash, right? And 
where and how do folks find things is a real challenge today, right? And I know Lydia Steffens just launched her company to try to help mm. with that. Um, but it's really interesting. And everyone's exploring the new, the, new, the new windows as well. Like you look at what Major League Baseball is doing with, from a digital standpoint, right? They've got the morning, the morning games on Peacock. They have what they're doing with Apple TV+. Plus what they're doing with, with with Amazon Prime as well, right? And you look then, where do we go from here? Like in the next year, well, we've all been waiting, right? And I say we all, I think it's industry people. I think the average fan probably is not, but for the big tech companies to take the jump in, right? And will the leagues trust them to stream at the, the, the highest volumes? And when will they write those checks? And Amazon was doing Thursday night football, for a few years in conjunction though with NFL network. And then last year they, they signed the deal to do it exclusively going forward. And now you have the MLS deal that was huge, right? With Apple. Um, and you see the NFL with who's bidding on the Sunday ticket, um, you know, w- w- with those rumors. And I, I think kind of, as you look going forward, it's, it's the big tech, you know, the big three or four tech guys with those huge pocketbooks, now starting to write those checks and the leagues are willing to to go there and and stream there exclusively so so with data now today this is kind of interesting that you just said that i I don't know why i never thought of this before but with all the the information we have if i'm a league no matter what whether it's the world surf league the national lacrosse league the pll nwsl doesn't matter i have all the data on my fans and major league baseball as well i have all the data on my fans I know the platforms that my fans are consuming information on or consuming content. Yet, when I look at it, I'm still going after the check. I'm not saying we want to go and do a deal with TikTok because we know that our fans are residing there or with Twitter because I know we're going to go, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, and I've seen some of the numbers that that have been out there about MLB on, on Apple Plus and I've heard it was more than disappointing. So is it a question of we want to service the fans now and put the, our product on the platform where they are, or we're going to take the money and hope that the marketing goes into it so that we can drive fans to those platforms, even though it's very frag- fragmented? I think it's a balance, right? And, and, and it's a tough balance, right? Because obviously the money is key, right? The, the, the leagues and whether it's the National Football League or the National Lacrosse League, the mo- money will drive things, but th- they want to be kind of where fans are. And using the National Lacrosse League, they have a ton of content on social, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where they've built a lot of their distribution, but they're also on the traditional TV partners as well and try to find that balance because, you know, again, we, we talked about, you know, we're, we're, we're the older generation versus the younger generation we're folks watching the games and you've got to get there at some point and try to figure it out. Right. I, I think there's a little bit also right now with this change of, you know, throwing the pasta against the wall to see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can try to maximize revenue and exposure. And there's a Venn diagram there where folks are looking at the analytics to your point of where are people viewing? How are they consuming? How are they interacting? Right. And, and how do I engage? And also not just when my games are on. Right. What about during the off hours? 
during the quote unquote off season, which gets smaller and smaller. You mentioned earlier, you know, you were at the NBA summer league, right? The NBA off season virtual, you know, is really compressed and every other league, same thing. So how do you engage and how do you try? Like, again, you see, I think a lot of these digital deals are also attempts, right? Remember baseball did the Facebook deal a few years ago, right? And now they, they learn things and now they pivot, try it now with Apple, right? And, and, and some different things and see where people will come and watch and use that use those analytics and reach the younger demographic as well. And the sponsors, right? Where, 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 where do the sponsors want to be? And, you know, that's definitely a big piece of the conversation. There was a timely article a few days ago in Hollywood Reporter on this very subject. The title was Pro Sports' Dilemma, Ownership or Rich TV Rights Deals. Major leagues are increasingly planning to balance direct-to-consumer fan relationships with billion-dollar rights deals from Disney, Comcast, or tech giants like Apple and Amazon. Phil, this, is, this may be the biggest question in the industry um, for, for uh, the next few years, finding that balance. And, and it seems like, uh, as I noted when I tweeted that story, like the bigger leagues, that the ones that have clout, that have leverage, would like to have their cake and eat it too, which has normally always been the case for powerful leagues. And you're seeing that a little bit with the NFL, which has gotten you know historically high traditional rights fee plus these interesting new digital uh, endeavors that they're doing. But it, but that leverage obviously drops when you're getting down to the mid-tier uh, or lower tier. But the point you made about well going after the, taking the, kind of taking the money or trying to get the marketing uh, the reach. I mean we just call it the reach revenue dilemma in my class. Because if you are a new league or a league that's plateaued and you want to grow, it seems to me there's no choice but to get as much distribution as possible so as to expose the sport and claw your way into some exposure in this attention economy. So I'm looking at the stuff that we've talked about this before on this podcast, like La Liga making the decision to effectively go mostly behind a paywall, Bundesliga, uh, et cetera, like through ESPN+. Plus. And I don't know if you guys agree with me, but taking out, taking aside reference to the famous teams like Barcelona and Madrid, et cetera, there's just very little buzz in the American sports culture about a bunch of these properties that chose to take the um, revenue over the so-called reach. I mean, do you, does that make sense to you? Is that, do you agree? I think it depends. On the, on the league, right? I think to your point, some of the international soccer leagues, absolutely, because they're still, like to your point, it, it's when they're trying, if the league is really trying to expand their footprint, like from a, a, a small space, right? Everyone's trying to expand. But, um, you know, if the NFL wanted to take the money and run, they're the NFL, they probably could. I'm not saying they will or anything like that versus to your point like talking about la liga and the bundesliga that's a much harder thing they don't have a huge presence here in the states right right you know they do compare it to where they were five ten years ago but you look at the premier league right they're much bigger and they're they're a bigger league in general but you know they have a huge following and you know that was built around their their deal with nbc right with comcast and what they've done there and that has really helped generate buzz for them and you look at somebody like F1, look what they've done to right. generate buzz here in the U.S., right? It's, you know, everyone talks about the Netflix show, but also, you know, they're 
their content here 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 in the states is free you know quote unquote free to air on espn right well so in other words you kind of need to be firing on all cylinders ideally or as many as possible so i'm going to mention an example that i just happened to notice and joe i would love to get your opinion on this too so i saw either a front office sports or sportico article last week about um Disney ESPN bringing unprecedented exposure to lacrosse through its PLL relationship and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it said all the right things. So as I I often do, I kind of go check, check the details. So I go to ESPN.com and I'm like, all right, where's all the PLL stuff? I look first, I went to PLL's site and I went on their schedule and it shows all their games and it says ESPN2, ESPN, ESPN plus, whatever, most of them ESPN plus. But then I go to ESPN.com, which is the biggest sports site in the entire business. Guess what's missing from all of their top line navigation? Lacrosse. You know how they have the leagues Lacrosse. on the main nav and then they are pulled down? They're literally not even listed. The sport itself is not even listed. Yeah. Yep. And I and I call kind of bullshit on them talking about that kind of stuff. It's like, look, you got to make it holistic. You can't just put the content out there and not contextualize it through all the stuff you want to do on a big media site. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they're thinking, but I, I kind of, um, I was really taken aback by that. It just, that's a, to me a really big miss. So in other words, unless the media partner is going to truly embrace it, which I don't, you know, all due respect to ESPN and PLL, it doesn't feel like they are. If they're, if you're not even in the main navigation, you're not in the conversation in digital media. So, so, so I, I think there's two pieces to this, which are critical that you raise. One is at kind of the editorial versus the programming side and right. the miss is on the but They relate, side. obviously. Yeah. Um, but the other side of it is, I think if you are the rights holder, having seen this with several leagues now, you have, it is beholden on you to go and push your rights. Your, I'm sorry, your rights, you have the content. So whoever your rights holder is, Fox, ESPN, you have to push them and say, this is really great, but where are we on your scroll? Where are we? You can't assume it. Right. And I would bet that if you went to now that that and that ESPN has basically all lacrosse, that no one has come to them. Well, almost no one has come to them probably and said, where where's the lacrosse tab? And that will take a long time to get to because they'll they'll re-engineer it. They'll say, well, we'd have it there if people were interested in it. But how are people going to get interested yeah. in it if you're not promoting it? Right. So well, anyway. that's the thing. It's, it's chicken and egg, um, but it just seems like digital yeah. publishing 101 yeah. that you'd want and to complement the, well, the broadcast and streaming relationship with the proper contextualization in your editorial product. Yeah, right. and, and, and this is actually interesting because that dovetails into really kind of part B, Phil, for the question is, you know, we rattled off, I don't even know, in 20 minutes, we've rattled off 17 different platforms and we haven't mentioned the zone and we haven't mentioned 11 sports and low sports. And um, when is it, will there be convergence in your opinion? Will there be shit like the zone now buying 11? Um, you know, how you can't keep just doing this, right? I mean, you know, we've seen <laughs> CNN plus go to CNN minus when they dropped it right away. Right. So, so um, if you are, how do, how do you think that will all play out? Is it, is it just continued verticals, you know, re- reinventing, you know, the, the cord, the, you know, the bundles of, that we, we're now trying to exit. How, how do you think that will play out over the future, you know, in the near future? Yeah. I, I, and I, I think you're going to end up right. It's the, um, we had the bundle then be, 
then came the, the great the story of the great unbundle, right? Just give me what I want and I'm going to pay in a la carte. And people are doing that. But you start to see while, while people may be cutting the cord and sports, as we all know, is holding that together. You're starting to have to buy all these individual products again, right? With the, with the great the aggregation. And I think, you know, it's cyclical. You'll come back and you'll start to see an aggregation of things, right? And it's obviously ESPN buying up a lot, Paramount Plus, right? The, the heavy hitters are all buying up the, the, the big chunks of content that become the aggregators. And then off of that, because to your point, Tom, as you were saying, whether it's lacrosse or somebody else who then can't maybe break through the what what ESPN has the clutter on some of the big players they then still need their individual channels right so you're always going to have that kind of push and pull of aggregation and then the deaggregation and I know that you know kind of sounds like an oxymoron there but it, it it's coming to get it will come back together and then break back up again because that's just that that's the nature right it's a question from the both of you how much money do you think people, is there, is there a number in the research that you guys have seen that people will spend $70 a month for a la carte sports streaming product? They'll spend $100 a month. Have you, have you seen any numbers, Tom or Phil? Yeah, I mean, we, we used Activate's um, annual tech and media report as kind of the, the reference for this show. Uh, they've been covering this the last few years. And again, this is a pretty sophisticated re, you know, research business focused on media. Uh, and entertainment and tech. And they are, I, I think the latest report is, you know, they show the, the it, it was, it's no longer a hockey stick. You know, the average number of subscri uh, digital subscriptions is, or I should say streaming, I can't remember what they said, like 4.5 and then by 2024, it's gonna be 5.8 or something. So no appreciable jump percentage wise it is. But um, my sense is that um, it's a really impossible question to answer because of the prevalence of password sharing and piracy. It is still, I mean, there's been a lot of attention on password sharing. Netflix specifically has been trying to cut down on it and others are trying to a certain degree. But I think the thing that doesn't get talked about as much is for live sports, there's still a lot of pirated streaming going on. All you, all you want to do, I mean, you guys have done this probably, talk to 10 young males who like sports and ask them how they saw certain games over the last couple of months. And probably from nine of them or eight of them, they're going to mention some streams. Yeah. Phil? So, or, anyway. Or, 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 you know, their parents' account or their friends' account. Yeah, yeah, right. Or, so or you're yeah, using the, the log, right. Using the password sharing yeah. and the login because it's, it's so yeah. easy. So if, if you think of something like a major streaming service like HBO uh, Max or Netflix or something like that, I mean, I would say close to 100% of the young people I know, meaning 20s, and probably definitely teens, but twenties and maybe even early thirties, they're they're using family accounts. They're they're not suddenly cut off from the family saying, No, I need to mm -hmm. I need to kind of replicate my streaming subscription base, you know, to do this. So it's a hard question to answer to. I think the more provocative aspect of this is one that we've talked about before in the show, and Phil, you've heard me discuss in the class, and that is we veterans and the uh you know the power brokers not we but the power brokers in the industry the leagues commissioners media companies they have focused all the time and money most of the time and money on live rights on the actual live games 
But Joe, I keep coming back to David Stern, David Stern's quote from a few years back before he died, how we're enabling fans to watch us less. And this idea right. that I still think for a lot of young people that they're that the tail wagging the dog is the, is the highlights and memes and gifts that come from these games. And that's kind of proven out to a degree with the NBA. Yep. They have good ratings, but not compared to the NL. Um, but you could argue that culturally, I don't know what you think of this, Joe. I think culturally they're probably more popular than most other sports, but they don't have the highest ratings. Right. But and again, social media. Right. and we go back to our ratings as an, and Phil, actually, this is, this again, dovetails to a question for you on the streaming side. Is there a place like we've seen, you know, MLB hasn't gone there yet. NBA has gone there for the last five minutes. You know, is there a place somewhere in the near future where I want to watch Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer cam and I'll spend X number of dollars just to get a prompt. And I know that buzzer has tried this and it's, either been good, bad, or indifferent, depending on who you talk to. But um, can you do the go the gaming route and do the micro payment thing where I'm going to spend that amount of money? And if so, why is it that only, in your opinion, why, you know, Red Zone and the last five minutes of the NBA are the only two that seem to be viable so far? You know, it's interesting. When, when the NBA launched micro payments, microtransactions, it was such a big story i felt like for us in the industry it was really exciting you know my kids have expressed no interest in that and that could be them and they're they're, they're big sports fans they don't talk about that right they'll want they'll get the highlights kind of your 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 your, your buzzer such an interesting use case and i feel like there's a lot of talk and a lot of you know, the director cam, like I want to watch the camera on whether it's Max Scherzer or the OBJ cam, right? When he was lighting the world on mm. fire. Um, but there's also the reason like the director gets paid to do what the director does, right? People like interactivity and they want to talk on Twitter and, you know, share and all that. But they also want to, I think, just watch the game or watch yeah. the highlights, right? And so if you watch Max Scherzer cam, yeah. He's only on camera for when he throws like, and that you're missing the context around it. So it's a yeah. cool feature, but I don't know if ne that's necessarily going to move the needle substantially, right? So they're interesting, and you know, again, we keep trying different things because there's so much we can do, right? With the, you know, I, I think what's interesting is kind of the live stats, right, and what that can lead to, right? When you get the live stats integration and the social and the gambling and the gaming that all brings it all together. That's really compelling. Um, and that, you know, gets that younger audience super engaged. And, you know, that's where, again, red zone, I think is very popular to, to your point. You asked why that's different is because it's about fantasy, right? And that's the, the pre gambling, gambling, if you will, mm -hmm. that folks really got obsessed with red zone. Cause I want to see if, you know, I, I, yes, I, I'm a Giants fan or I'm a Vikings fan or I'm a Bengals fan, but I'm really deep down, right? I'm rooting for my fantasy team. I'm a Tua fan because he's about to throw a touchdown and I want to see that. Um, and where can the other leagues do that? And baseball's done some of that. We're showing kind of the instant highlight of the home run or something along those lines. Hey, Phil, part and parcel of this discussion is the idea that the leagues are recognizing that they're in competition as an entertainment property and they need to evolve their product accordingly so as to stay relevant and interesting to new 
bases of fans as as the, as generations age. Um, I don't know if either of you caught this, but a few days back, Kornheiser and Wilbon, for their when they do those five or ten minute interviews on the show on PTI, they had Theo Epstein, whose job right now is to he's a special advisor to Rob Manfred. His job is to is to figure out steps that need to be taken to improve the product of baseball. And I got to say, and you know, this has been a discussion the last few years around baseball. I got to say, I was really impressed with his very thoughtful take on this whole thing. But he, he basically said, look, we really don't have a choice. We have to do stuff. And if the purists don't like it, they're going to have to deal with it because we have no choice. This is just the way our culture has evolved. So they're not doing anything radical but as you know, mm. some of the stuff is controversial. But I, I tell you, you should watch that clip. That he's pretty. He's he's a really good explainer of this dilemma. Joe, and, and, and I'll give you one quick example. Um, so I went to my, a minor league game in Lakewood, New Jersey, three weeks ago with the pitch can with the pitch can, uh, clock. Yeah, it it is totally different, and it you, you accept it after about two batters that it's okay. Yeah. And the pitchers have adjusted to it. The minor league pitchers have adjusted to it. They get it. So again, another example of, you know, I think the whole world blows up. I was at the the um, Subway Series game on Tuesday night, and I turned to my brother. I'm like, can you remember? There used to be a time when the National League didn't have a DH. Boy, didn't, didn't that suck? So, <laughs> so um, and, and I think, you know, the traditionalists, I get it. At the end of the day, you want exciting content. And that's, you know, and you want to be able to get it, as we've said, and what Phil does, you know, on any device, any time, and then you got to figure out how it all gets paid for. That's really the challenge. So, right, right. so um, you know, and then Phil, coming back to kind of where you're going. So, so is it a continued evolution over a period of five years? Is it radical change? Is it now with a challenged economy? Is it holy crap? We have to go back because we want to be risk averse. If I'm if I'm a, either a broadcaster or a content creator. Um, where, do, where do you kind of, uh, what, what are you watching? That's, that's kind of my question is not just, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in Peacock, you know, but I'm really interested in these trends because this is what we're watching as a company. Sure. So look, your debt, you know, radical change depends on your definition of what's radical change, right? Is the MLS deal with Apple, is that radical change or is that the yeah, evolution of where we've been going? Right. Yeah. We don't, and we don't know. So I, I think you're going to see it continues to evolve. You know, for us as a company, what we're keeping an eye on, right, is the big picture. What are what are the the heavy hitter, the big the big players who we've talked a lot about? What are they doing? Um, but then where does that leave kind of some of the other folks, right? And how do they manage their content that they're not necessarily selling the rights to? And how do they get their content distributed? Whether it's their own paywall, their own free service through social, right? Because there's a slew of, you know, we've mentioned a bunch, the National Lacrosse League, the Premier Lacrosse League, the NWSL, et cetera, different leagues that are either have been around for a number of years, startup leagues. I saw something about World Arm Wrestling League, you know, making another go of it, right? And how do, how do these folks, exactly, parkour is another one. Um, how do these folks get their content distributed and not just distributed, but make money with it? As you said, Joe, someone has to pay for it. 
And whether that's through sponsorship, through rights deals, you know, it, through behind a paywall or a combination, you know, that's something that UFC had done such a good job with, right? Where they um, had the balance of what was free and available, you know, what was, you know, did they sell the rights to what was pay-per-view? Um, and they were able to check a lot of different boxes to generate both marketing buzz, then also revenue behind the licensing and the pay-per-view. So Phil, if Joe and I started a new sports business that produced live events and we needed to stream them and we called you and said, Phil, we need a solution. What's your 30 second pitch for us? Great, great question. Sure. So look, my 30 second pitch is, you know, we're going to make it easy for you. Right. You have to worry about your sports league. Like you've got a lot to worry about. You're, you have to worry about your marketing, creating your events, getting people to care about it. We're going to take the technology piece and you're not going to have to worry about it. You put on your event, get a camera up there and whether that's your phone or a six camera shoot or whatever it might be. And we'll take care of the rest and we'll distribute that wherever and however you need that done. Um, so you reach the broadest audience and monetize it however you want to do it, whether on social, on third-party sites, through Fast Channel, however you want to do that, we've got you covered. Wow. Will work. By the so, way, so the thing you left out, Tom, is you hire Mercury to do your back end. Uh, yeah. We just go to Bristol and we right. put an ESPN+. Plus well, you can work in tandem with Brycove to help you with your applications be customized. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I've got a, Joe, I've got a pen. I'm ready to sign that deal with Brycove for for our new uh, sport. I'm thinking maybe it's, it's a fighter's league for men over 50 and we use giant it's, boxing gloves. It's, or something it's like actually that. junior face tag. That's what we're launching. The junior yeah. No, I want to or, 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 <laughs> the other thing we could do is we could be the seventh person to launch a pickleball league in right. the last six months. No, no, I, I, Joe, I think world chase tag, but for seniors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got some uh, great sponsor opportunities. Yeah, that, no kidding. I would just watch CNN for an hour and call all those companies that are advertising. Well, you know, you know what we would do? We would do world senior face tag in Farsi. That would be our. our, our, our <laughs> all right. Well, Joe, anyway. I, Phil, we may be coming to you. So let me let me switch gears a little bit and talk more about functional role. So you've been in general management positions, leadership positions with the different jobs you've had. But over these last um, seven, eight years in the world of uh, software, You've gotten into the the world I'm used to of uh, strategy biz dev partnerships. Talk talk a little bit about that. Um, what have you learned over the years? And this could be some good lessons for younger folks listening. From all your vast experience doing generally biz dev sales, et cetera. You and I have talked about this many times through the years. I'm really fascinated by this talk because topic because it's a very important functional area of all these businesses. These businesses can build, as we know, great technology, have great solutions, but it's got to be promoted. It's got to be marketed and sold. And that's a whole nother uh, challenge in the mix. So what, what have you learned that's working for you? Sure. So there's a couple of key things, right? One is you have to be authentic to yourself, right? There's everyone has a different style for how they do business development but you have to be true to yourself and use your style, right? Some folks are a little more laid back. Some are more in your face. What makes you comfortable? And what do you think, you know, the person that you're looking to partner with, you know, how are they reacting and react to them as well, but be true to yourself. 
So that that's first. And then the other key thing is people love to, you know, your network is so important, right? Network, you know, is, is um, probably your most valuable asset that you can bring when you're in a business development role. And people talk about connections and make connections and make connections. It's not about making connections. It's about having true relationships, right? You go to a conference and you shake somebody's hand and you meet them. Well, that's a connection. You exchange business cards and you see them again. And you say, oh, hey, and you smile and you nod and you move on. But when you have that true relationship and that takes time and you have to foster that. And, you know, you guys are both, you know, tremendous at that. You know, two of the best people at it in the industry. Um, but you have to really work that and it's hard. And it's so important because that's really, it's how you learn and you always want to keep learning, right? Um, as part of this as well. And so it's how you learn and you get to know people and people as, you know, a, a good friend, a friend of ours, a, a good friend of mine says, you know, yes, you're, you're, you're buying the technology and you're doing the partnership because it's going to achieve what you want, what you need, but it's really the people you do it with. And, you know, you're not going to, you know, do deals with people you don't want to work with if they're, diff if they're too difficult. Um, Phil, Joe, if you don't mind, let me follow up with that and ask Phil this question. Again, you and I have talked about this offline, but I think it's it's worthy of a more public chat. Uh, and Joe, you can jump in on this too. So we all face, whether you're a student looking for an internship or a recent grad looking for your job, um, I don't know, Joe getting it, you know, going after a new piece of business for his consultancy or Phil, you a new account or me a, a, new, a, a new account to unlock or whatever. We all face obstacles the unreturned email, people not on as fast a schedule as you'd like them to be, et cetera. There's a lot of frustration. And one of the questions I'm asked by the young people I help help out, it um, relates to the timing of how you do follow-up. So let's talk about that for a minute because we're all in this business of needing to communicate asynchronously and that can be a really tricky thing. So there's kind of the authenticity just of your style, but also there's that, calculation we all need to make on a day-to-day -day basis about follow-up what, what's your philosophy about that you know you've got to be conscientious of and it's hard by the way like it is very hard balance but be conscientious of what's going on in people's worlds as best you can right understand where they may be coming from so again we're talking a lot obviously this is sports but if you know USA track and field, if you're reaching out to them, their world championships were two, two weeks ago, last week, last over week, two weeks. Last week. Yeah. yeah. Last week for two weeks. Like don't reach out to somebody in the weeks before their event. Like when I was on the other side of this and I was at the USTA, you know, I'd have people reach out to me. The U S open was the end of August and I get a call August one. Hey, I'm reaching out. I want to see if you want to use X. And I'm like, Seriously, my events in three weeks. My decisions are made. Oh, I'm I done. thought you were golf. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, good one, Joe. But you know what I mean. Like, so in the world of sports, be conscientious of the calendar. That's yeah. so important. Like, that's that's, that's good it. advice. I mean, that's simple advice, but it's good. Yeah. Yeah, and then the more day to day, kind of to your point, I've been waiting a week. I've been waiting. You know, it, it's you know, you, you you go back. You know, it, it's it's like the dating rituals. Like, should I reach out? Should I not? And and it's give it time to breathe and that's hard and yeah. it's um it, it's definitely more art than science mm. and you know talk to colleagues about stuff like that so hey i'm thinking about reaching out it's been this someone who's 
maybe a little less invested than you. And they're like, yes. oh no, you got to give it more time. You're yeah, yeah. It's well, too soon. I'll give you so two other points off of that. And, and Tom, I can't remember who it was. Who was the former the NFL Hall of Famer we had on a couple months ago? Oh, Brian? From, Brian from the Eagles? Yeah. Yeah. And he talked about writing Talkers, an email yeah. to myself right. and sending it to myself and then, right. you know, then deleting it. But I think the other, the other part of that is relevance. So if you can say, hey, you know, realize we haven't spoken yet, but, you know, read, the, read this today about your company, congratulations, or, you know, saw this, thought you'd find this interesting, hope we can catch up soon. I think that is lost. And especially if it's something that's relevant, not just something like, hey, you know, I saw a new recipe for cupcakes today, thought you'd be interested in this. Um, right. Right. I think that's important. And, and, you know, the other thing that, and again, because I get pitched on a lot of things too, just the uselessness of people following up and say, hey, you know, I really wanted to check in on this. What do you think about my legal software? I'm like, well, do you know what I do and, and why, why would I care about this? Right. So right. anyway. Right. No, it's a, it's a great, it's yeah, a yeah, great the point. La the, lack, the lack of awareness, right. The, sorry, Phil. Yeah, I was just saying, it's a great point you raised, Joe. Again, like, again, using whether it's the Open or the USA track and field or MLB All-Star game or whatever it is, the, the, the quick note, like, hey, good luck. I know your big event is coming. Talk soon. Yes. Yep. Or I saw the event and I yeah. saw, you yes. know, Aaron Judge did X. That was mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Those go a long way. Yeah, yeah no, I think it's a good way, a good way of thinking of Phil like, and Joe, like th this idea that the higher the stakes in the communication, the more thoughtful you have to be with what you say. Your literal choice of words yep. on that, I always try to bring up something relevant or helpful. So, if, for example, if I'm talking to someone in streaming, Phil, and a new streaming report was just issued the day before and I happen to have it, I'll say, by the way, this might mm. be of interest to you as an attachment, yep. no attached, but but. There are times, and I've said this to many mentees through the years, but if you need to spend 45 minutes writing a two-sentence email for an important follow-up, that's a good 45 minutes spent. Right. You can't look at it as like, oh, it's not that big a deal. No, it, it is. And the nuances in email communication are legendary, of course. And that's why each and every word, even the formatting, like avoid avoiding long paragraphs, mm -hmm. there's a whole... I feel like, you know, for the three of us, we've been doing this in various versions and we've been on the other side. We've been on the receiving side. So I think you can appreciate it more. You kind of you kind of look at this thing and say, ultimately, it's what good business is. It's like when you make your moves and how you make those moves, the timing, the language, et cetera. That's kind of what it all comes down to. And yeah. I hope I'm not oversimplifying no, business, but um, yeah. Hey, um, I want to get to one of, we kind of answered one of the two last questions on the advice, but the last question that I, I would have, Phil, is so much going on and, you know, we're all this kind of search, curious search for knowledge about the streaming side. Where do you get your information from? How do you stay smart? Like who are the people you're following? What are some of the trends you're following now? Sure. So um, I follow the two of you guys. Um, that's a start. And, um, but, you know, I, I think Sportico, um, front office sports, you know, Eric Fisher is, is really tapped in rich, uh, rich Greenfield is another guy who, oh, yeah. know, who, know, who knows yeah. his stuff. Just, just, just very good. You know, John Orand, um, also very strong. Those are some of the folks I'll follow on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, getting all the newsletters, right. Axios, 
you know, that, that, that's, um, you know, Axios is less necessarily on the pure streaming side, but more on what's going on in the industry, which then you can help connect the dots, right? Because you can't be so myopic on just streaming, 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 what else is going on around you? Um, and then there are the different reports, right? Whether it's, you know, the Price Waterhouse report, you know, Brightcove, we've got our global video index um, and some of the others that you want to tap into just to see that some of those global trends um, as well. Phil, other than the cusp show, what pods are you listening to these days? Um, it, it, it's a wide variety. I was actually talking about this last night with some friends, um, you know, beyond the cusp show, big fan of a number of the NPR related shows. They're not necessarily the industry ones, you know, yes, Sportico, I, I listen to that, but like big fan of the moth and, uh, this day in esoteric <coughs> history. Is a good really? one. Interesting. Yeah, it, yeah. That, 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 that's a fun one. And then make me smart is another one. Cause again, always trying to learn and get smarter. That's, that's from uh, yeah. the marketplace guys. If you know that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think of, I, I uh, was thinking of something before. Um, I, I guess I would just go back to the advice thing to finish this up, Joe. Mm -hmm. um, Phil, you've been around the block more than a few times in this business. You have a lot of great relationships. You've, you've, you've been kind of a survivor. And I mean that in a very complimentary way. Because uh, it's not easy to uh, kind of figure out how to navigate your career over a couple of a few decades. Um, what what are your parting words in terms of advice for not not young people, but kind of that that next level up between the young people and us? Let's say, like where you're just kind of getting the momentum in your 30s and stuff like that, and it's such kind of a wide open field right now in terms of areas of the business that people can go in if they want to pivot or whatever, um, what, what words of wisdom can you, can you offer that crowd? Yeah. You know, I would say, look, we're, we're in the world of sports, right? So remember why you're doing this and what you're doing that, you know, it should be a job you really enjoy, right? You, you, you want to enjoy what you're doing, find good people, and smart people to learn from. Like I've been really fortunate over the course of my career, you know, the some of the people I've gotten to work with, you know, the real like industry legends, right? Whether that's a, a John Kozner and John Skipper and Marie Donahue at ESPN, right? Brian Beadall at CSDV, uh, Bob Bowman and Din Man at, at, at BAM, et cetera. And I'm forgetting others, right? I, I can go on, but find good, smart yeah. people to learn from, um, you know, get people you respect and, then what, what are you passionate about, right? And are there, there are areas of the business that you find a lot of interest in? Like I was on the TV side and this internet thing was happening. And then I've kind of followed the wave of the internet and streaming to see where that could take me. And, you know, at some point I'll jump off and maybe try something else, but that's what I've enjoyed is that real kind of the streaming and the video piece. Um, you may be into data and if data analytics is what you love, focus on that piece of the puzzle. You know, now's a good time, you know, if you were targeting that kind of 30 something where you know the parts of the business that you like and you can always change. Like that that's the other thing. Like I pivoted from general management to business development and it's been a great switch for me and I've really enjoyed it. So you can switch, but find the part of the business that you really enjoy and then find some good mentors and good people to work with. But I think that's a really valuable piece of advice about putting yourself in a position where you are either directly working with exposed to on a regular basis, the senior leadership 
so you can actually have a learning relationship or a mentor relationship, even if it's not necessarily acknowledged, but you're exposed to that as opposed to some of these super hierarchical companies where like when I, my first job at a big ad agency out of college was, you know, I was 22, my boss was 23, his boss was 24, et cetera. And I had like no FaceTime with any senior people of any significance. And I learned a little bit along the way, but not like you can once you get exposed to people that are, are real um, kind of key influencers in the company or the actual business. So that's an interesting uh, thing to think about when people are advancing their careers. Like what, what, what is kind of the people factor in this new role? And uh, I agree with you. I think it's super important. So thanks. Joe, any last uh, thoughts or comments or questions? No, it's Friday, so I guess I have to go find Apple TV Plus to, if I want to yeah. watch Major League Baseball I, tonight. But so. Oh, I, I was going to say it's it's Friday afternoon. I thought you were going to like rush to YouTube and watch the Live Tour live in New Jersey. Uh, I'm not going to miss that um, today, actually. But I will be watching the the Women's Euro Final this weekend. There you go. Right. So. And I got, Joe, I almost laugh out loud whenever I go to LiveGolf.com and I look at that slogan, mm. golf, but louder. Yeah. <laughs> just one, one of the one of the and then they go like this uh, funniest things i've seen yeah so anyway yeah, right <laughs> so uh last question yeah not too loud yeah phil last question um go ahead where can they follow where can people find you and learn more about bright cove as well sure so uh, i'm easy um both twitter and linkedin i'm green pp right it's my old aol screen name believe that wow. you know believe yeah. it or not and that it sounds like a te- it sounds like a teenage me. boy would have would have picked green pp as their username <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh that's the easiest way to find me and then you know bright cove is uh you know just brightcove.com and you can learn all about uh what we're doing there thank you Although Joe, it just occurred to me that when AOL started, Phil probably was a teenager. <laughs> but, so by the way, as we end this, the fact that his thing is bright, uh, bright, green PP, and he works in the streaming business is quite ironic. Touche. Well done. All right. Anyway. I think, that I think note, that's definitely a signal we got to finish this, Joe. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate Yash behind the scenes producing once again. And being kind of a reference point for some parts of this conversation, as always, we uh, really nice to have him. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for spending time. Thanks again on behalf of Scott and the program for supporting the program and its students. You, you've been a really wonderful uh, friend to, to all, and it's greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm looking forward to when we can actually get back to be hanging, hanging out in New York City as a group uh, when, when things are fully back to normal. Uh, by the way, Joe, we didn't mention that Phil went out for a trade show to Vegas, what, a month ago and, and came back with COVID, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, NAB. So, uh, yeah, as they say, what, oh, I'm sorry, in, NAB, yeah. what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except COVID. Yeah. Right. right. But, an, but a, another reason why we're still laying a little bit low with the, the normal New York City mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm hoping this fall we'll be back in, yep. in action with NYBC Sports and some of the stuff on campus. So um, Phil Green. From Bright Cove, thank you so much. Um, good luck with everything at Bright Cove. Good luck in this crazy streaming business. And uh, I admire your uh, you know, good, chill attitude about it because you, you can't let it stress you out. You can't let it overwhelm you. You just have to kind of figure it out as you go along. And you've done that quite well. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.